There's a fundamental misunderstanding about followers of Jesus. And it's this, that they're all cleaned up and close to perfect people. While we're certainly called to be holy as God is holy, good, moral, cleaned up behavior is not the mark of a follower of Jesus. The sure mark of a follower of Christ isn't if they sin, it's when they sin, how do they respond? Following Jesus isn't about being perfect, it's actually about being repentant. It's living a life of repentance. You know, one Sunday, um, admittedly not that long ago, um, I was playing drums that morning, someone else was preaching, and I just had a crummy attitude coming into it. And I'm not, I can't remember why, but I just had a crummy negative attitude, and it seeped out. And I stepped on Josh's toes a little bit, even as the leader of the team. Um, so the next day, I just went to Josh, and I apologized. And now every time I'm, I'm drumming, I try hard to shut my mouth and have a good attitude, and, and God's given me some, some strength and some grace to do that. I repented. I turned away from that. See, it shouldn't be shocking to you that your pastor had a moment of impatience. What should be shocking to you is if your pastor has a moment of impatience and doesn't repent of it. That's what, that's what we should be concerned about. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. We need to realize that God gave his son, Jesus, on the cross, knowing that we would sin, and he still went through with it. So following Jesus is, is, is us just being wowed over and over again by the grace and mercy and love and kindness of Jesus Christ on the cross for us and letting that kindness drive us to our knees in repentance. Not just confession, saying I did something wrong, but then working hard in the power of the Holy Spirit to not walk in that any longer. God's kindness leads us to repentance. So we find ourselves in Numbers, and we, we covered Numbers 25 last week, which is quite the chapter. You should go back and, and at least just read the chapter. It's rather jarring. Um, I, and go, last, go back and listen to Chris's message as well. Um, but we're going to look at this week, Numbers 26 to 36. But I'll be honest with you, we're just going to be focusing on chapter 32. So I'm going to describe chapters 26 through 36 uh, just in like a sentence or two per chapter because a lot of it um, isn't narrative or story. And we said we're going to be looking at the stories in Numbers. So, um, but we see this theme in these last chapters of God's kindness to them. And it's, it's crazy that God is so kind to them because Israel has been anything but repentant up to this point. But yet, he pours out his kindness on this new generation about to enter the promised land. So Numbers 26 basically is this. God kindly takes a census of a new, this new generation that's about to enter the land. And that's kind because he's basically saying, God's saying, I'm hitting the reset button. If you look at Numbers 1 verse 1, that's what he does there. He takes a census of the people. Now it's this whole new generation. And he's like, all right, let's pretend like that mess didn't happen. And let's, let's press the reset button here. It's very kind of him. Then Numbers 27, God kindly gives um, the, these daughters uh, an inheritance. These daughters come to Moses and they're like, hey, we don't have an inheritance because our dad passed away. 
Um, Our family passed away in the wilderness, um, and God provides that for him. He also, in that chapter, provides Israel with a new leader, because Moses screwed it up, so he's like, hey, Joshua's going to be your new leader going into the promised land. The numbers 28 and 29, we see God's kind guidance for for giving offerings, and then we see in Numbers 30, uh, God's kind guidance for vows. And then Numbers 31, we see God's kind victory over the Midianites, who were the ones who led them astray in chapter 25. Again, man, if you haven't read that chapter, it's a doozy. But God then gives them victory over these people who caused them to stumble. That's so kind of him. To go, you know what? You guys, you guys gave in to their temptation, but I'm still going to give you victory over them. Then we see Numbers 33, God kindly reminds them of their journey so far. Here's where I've brought you. And then Numbers 34, God kindly appoints them land and leaders. And then Numbers 35, God kindly sets aside cities for special purposes. And then finally, Numbers 36, he gives them some kind guidance for their marriages. That leads us to Numbers 32. And here we see really the theme through This chapter is that God's kindness leads the Israelites to repentance. And if you've been with us for this journey, or if you've read Numbers, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, wow, you guys finally got it. When you grumble, when you screw up, repent. And they do. So I'm excited for this chapter because we're not going to end on this like, yeah, there's the Israelites being dumb again, okay? It's, they're actually going to repent. So that, let's, let's go into the text. If you have it on your phone or, or have a, a paper Bible with you, open that up. Numbers 32, verse 1. Right away, we're going to see the two tribes of Reuben and Gad have a seemingly innocent request. Numbers 32, 1. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So they're like, wow, this is a great place for livestock. It's like Iowa here. So verse 2, So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eliezer the priests and to the chiefs and to the congregation, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elielah, Sebam, Nebo, and beyond, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So here's where they're at. They're in the land of Moab, which is right across the Jordan River from the promised land, okay? And let me show you this map. So once everything is settled, this is the land that they end up getting. So the Jordan River is right down the middle here, just north of the the Dead Sea. And Reuben and Gad, they're right here, okay? And they're like, this land is pretty good. Can we just have this land? And as you're going to see in this chapter, they end up getting this land. God graciously gives that to them even after they grumble, um, but they're saying, hey, they're looking around going, hey, this is, this is pretty sweet land. Why don't we just hang out here? And it seems innocent, right? They even say in verse 5, if we have found favor in your sight, they're being respectful. But as we're going to see in a second, it's actually quite a selfish request. 
Their last words in verse 5 hint at it. They say, don't take us across the Jordan. They're saying, we, we just want to sit here and enjoy this land while Israel goes to war. It's an insidious form of grumbling because it's, they're not complaining about the here and now. They're just trying to get out of something that's to come, namely war. And this selfish request of, of Gad and of Reuben, these tribes, goes over a lot like a kid asking their mom if they can skip school today, right? The kid's just laying in bed going, hey mom, my bed is so comfy, can I just stay home today? And any self-respecting mom will not let that happen. Go, no, you're going to school, get up, let's go, right? And that's how it goes over. They're like, oh, I just want to stay in bed, this is so comfy. And Moses is like, no, no, I see what you guys are doing, and Verse 6, he exposes their grumbling hearts. It says, But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this. I mean, talk about a shot to the heart, right? No one wants to hear that. You're being just like, your parents, and when they screwed up, when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, for when they went to, up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the, the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. And if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all this people. Moses here exposes their grumbling hearts. And he, he's telling them, hey, this is grumbling because you're selfishly leaving the rest of Israel hanging. He says in verse six, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? It would be like if in World War II, Iowa and Missouri decided, you know what? You guys got it, okay? We're not going to send any troops. We're good. We'll just stay back here. It's all good. Talk about not being the United States of America, right? That's what's happening here. Uh, we see these two tribes going, no, we're, we're good. We'll sit out, right? It's interesting to note here that, that grumbling produces more grumbling. Moses points this out. Grumbling begets Grumbling, it spreads really fast. Twice in here, Moses says, don't be like your fathers. Don't be like the previous generation that discouraged the heart of the people of Israel. Don't discourage everyone else. Don't grumble because everyone else is going to start grumbling. It's also grumbling because it selfishly sidesteps God's plan for them. It selfishly sidesteps his plan. Verse 7, why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? God's given them this land and he wants them to fight together. 
But Reuben and Gad, they're like, yeah, we just, we just want the blessings without putting in the hard work. They're saying, our, our plan's better than your plan, God. They're actually just being lazy. They're just being arrogant and claiming to be better than God. We, we know, we've got a better plan than you, God. This is some, some serious sin, some serious grumbling here. It's also grumbling because it selfishly forgets the past. Verse 8, Moses says, your fathers did this. He's saying, hey, you, you guys remember when we sent out the spies and the spies went into the land to check it out and they all came back except for Joshua and Caleb and they're like, they're too big, we can't do this. It's like, don't be like them. But they're being just like them. And Moses warns them here, you're doing the same thing your parents did. And if you do the same thing your parents did and discourage everyone else from going into the land, it's going to lead to death. Saying, have you really forgotten where selfish grumbling gets you? Have you not seen what happens over and over and over? It leads to death. But let's think about our own lives. Selfish grumbling creeps into our own lives too. We ask for things from God that we know aren't the best for us. Parents, you know, we, we, we often find ourselves asking God, hey, can you just make our kids little angels that are perfect all the time when all the while we know that God is actually making us more patient and self-controlled through that. Selfishly, we, we get impatient with people. We get impatient with God for taking so long. Why do things take so long? God, why is this line in Walmart so stinking long today? Why isn't my Amazon order here after 47 hours? It's supposed to come within two days. It's been 47 hours. We selfishly get impatient with things and with people and with God all the time. We selfishly only care about how someone else's suffering affects us. Here, here's an example. I remember several years ago uh, when I was a youth pastor at a church, um, a gal in the church that I didn't know too well, but a lot of people knew, passed away in the church. And all I could think of initially, this was my first thought, and it was terrible, okay, was how much time this funeral was going to take out of my day. But we do that, don't we? Other people are suffering and, and, and they come to us and, and first thing we can think of is how is this going to affect me? Naturally, we're just so selfish by nature. Selfishly, we, 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 we like to stay home from church. We like to not attend connection group. We like to not show up for Bible study or dinner with friends. And often it's just because we don't feel like it today. And before you just think this is a pastor ranting about people not showing up for church, let me just be honest with y'all. I wrestle with this at least once a week. Okay, I would rather sleep in most days than show up to prayer meeting with the guys on Thursday. I'd rather cancel Connection Group and watch Netflix. That's very tempting after a long day. Riding my bike often sounds more fun than going to church. 
But here's what's always true as well, at least once a week. God convicts me, and I faithfully show up, even though I I sometimes don't want to be there, and I never regret it. I always walk away going, man, that was awesome. God really showed up today. Man, I'm so glad I did that. I leave pumped, and I leave rejuvenated, and I go, man, why was I... Why was I feeling that way? Grumbling often produces this, this attitude within us that just is like, yeah, we don't, I don't care. When we selfishly stay away from church, when we selfishly stay away from our church family, just because we don't feel like it, here's what happens. We rob other people of the encouragement and love that we could have given them. We rob God of the honor and the glory that he deserves. And we also rob ourselves of the joy of Christian community. See, grumbling often manifests itself in what we don't do. We choose to stay comfortable in the moment instead of doing what we know is God's way. But do you know what's actually better than comfort? It's living with meaning and living with purpose. We think we want to just sit around on the couch all day, but all of us can attest to that when we've done that, after a while, we just become restless. We become restless because God has hardwired us for meaning. You know, in Ephesians 2.10, it says that God has prepared for us good works that we should walk in them. Why? Because that's how we were created. We were created... To, to be hardwired with, with living with purpose and meaning. We need to resist the oh-so-alluring urge that Reuben and Gad had here to be comfortable and answer God's call to be meaningful. I had one of our missionaries that we support share their, their story with me of how they came to know Christ, and I was blown away. They shared this with me a couple weeks ago. I was just blown away. So they were going to a youth group, and they just went because their, friend, uh, their friend's parents made him go to youth group. And he's like, well, I might as well have a good time and bring my friends. So you have this group of guys who doesn't give a rip about Jesus showing up to youth group. And here they are. And they have this, this small group leader and this youth leader. And he's like, the first night he goes, guys, here's my vision for this group. I'm praying that half of this group would become missionaries and the other half would get a job and help fund missions. Talk about living with meaning and purpose as a youth leader. I mean, this guy's not just showing up. His prayer isn't just that they would come to know Christ. No, he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Y'all come to know Christ. I want to have you to be missionaries. And I'm sitting here talking to this guy who literally is living that calling out. Living that prayer out. Why? Because through the work of Christ, this guy decided, I'm not just going to show up and be a youth leader and take up space, pray for these guys, ask some questions. No, I'm going to challenge them, and I'm going I'm to challenge them to live with meaning, and I'm going I'm to live with meaning and purpose in this role as, my youth, as, as a youth leader. Be easier to just show up. Do what I'm supposed to do and go home. This is always the urge for us. And this is what Reuben and Gad are doing. But we need to resist that urge. 
whether we're serving in the church or showing up to work or, or, or at home with our families, in all of the environments we're in, God, how do you want me to bring meaning and purpose to this? Not just show up. Not stay comfortable. So here's Reuben and Gad. They were just called out for their selfish grumbling. How are they going to respond? Here's what I would expect after all of numbers. Here's what I expect. I expect them to go, yeah, whatever, Moses, we're good. We're staying here. That's what I'd expect. But in a refreshing turn of events in numbers, they actually repent. Look at it with me. Verse 16. Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained their inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. They surprisingly repent here. Now the problem was, the problem originally was their selfishness. And they turn away from that right here. They repent of that. That's what it means to repent, to turn away. Verse 18, we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. They're saying we're not going to selfishly stay here and sip on our Arnie Palmers while the rest of the people of Israel go out to war. No, we're going to join the fight. We're rejecting our selfish comfort for God's meaningful epic adventure right here. Now, I want to contrast this, okay? There's a lot of contrasts with Numbers 32 to Numbers 14, where they're first asked to go into the land, the previous generation. And Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who are like, hey, you guys, quit grumbling, okay? Just like Moses here goes, quit grumbling and calls them out and repents. In verse 9 of chapter 14, Caleb and Joshua say, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. God's with us. Let's do it. Let's go. And Israel has a chance at that moment to repent of their grumbling. But instead, Numbers 14, verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stone. Not only do they not repent, they go, these guys are telling us we're wrong. They're saying we should repent. Yeah, right, whatever, let's kill them. Thankfully, God saves them. But what a contrast. Here you have two whole tribes of Reuben and Gad doing what only two men were doing before, Joshua and Caleb. And they're repenting, they're turning away from their selfish grumbling they remembered all of God's kindness to them and they let it lead them to repentance and that's what Romans 2 4 says God's kindness is actually meant to lead us to repentance true repentance turning away from sin is always in response to God's kindness Charles Spurgeon a pastor in the 1800s known as the prince of preachers said this Do not sit down and try to pump up repentance from the dry well of a corrupt nature. It's contrary to the laws of your mind to suppose that you can force your soul into that gracious state. 
take your heart in prayer to him who understands it and say, Lord, cleanse it. Lord, renew it. Lord, work repentance in it. The more you try to produce penitent emotions in yourself, the more you will be disappointed. However, if you believingly think of Jesus dying for you, repentance will burst forth. See, Spurgeon is saying what Paul says in Romans 2, 4, that his kindness leads us to repentance. If you just think of Jesus dying on the cross for you, And realize the gravity of that. You can't help but fall to your knees in repentance. True repentance flows from seeing and savoring God's kindness through Jesus. God was so kind that he crucified his son for my sin. Now let me try to bring this to life just a little bit for you. God's kindness leading to repentance. Let's, let's imagine for a second that you own a restaurant. And I, personally, I think we could use some more good restaurants in Boone. So if you want to do this, go for it. I'll be there. But let's say you own a restaurant. And I come with my family after church every Sunday. And every Sunday, I find you the owner. I go out of my way to find you before I leave. And I complain about something every time. I don't do this, by the way, at restaurants. But... Uh, let's, let's pretend I do. You own the restaurant, I'm coming to you. You know what? The bathroom was, was terrible, it was dirty. You, you gotta clean that up. Why don't you guys have Pepsi products? Everyone knows Pepsi products are better than Coke. What are you doing? The food took way too long today. The waitress keeps giving me mean looks today. Okay, your wallpaper, it's way outdated. Every, every Sunday, I got something new to c- complain to you about. And one Sunday, I come up to you and I complain as usual and you turn around and you go, you know what, Matt? I'm going to give you free food for you and your family for a year here. I hope in that moment that I would turn around and his kindness would lead me to repentance and I would go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I have been such a thorn in your side complaining every week Please forgive me. Wow, I don't deserve that at all. And that's what God's kindness is meant to do. He comes to us in a much more significant way. He comes to us and gives us his son on the cross. He goes, let this lead you to repentance. Author Paul Tripp, in one of my favorite devotionals, New Morning Mercies, says this. Complaining forgets God's grace. It ignores his presence. It fails to see the beauty of his promises. It allows the display of his splendor in creation to go unnoticed. It questions his goodness, his faithfulness, and his love. It wonders if he is there and if he cares. If you believe in God and his control over everything that exists, then you have to accept that all of your grumbling is ultimately grumbling against him. Our selfish complaining is ultimately against God. Yet, yet, he kindly gave us his son on the cross for our complaining. Reuben and Gad, these whole tribes of Israel, let God's kindness lead them to repentance. And my question for you today 
is will you let God's kindness through the person and work of Jesus lead you to repentance? But that's not the end of this story. They get rewarded for their repentance. And this is actually always true of repentance. It leads to a reward from God. So 32 verse 20, Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Haunting words. Those are so true. Your sin will find you out. Verse 24, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what you have promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed to battle before the Lord, will pass with you over the Jordan, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, they, will shall, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben answered, What the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan. And the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. Now here's the reward, okay, for the repentance. In case you were snoozing, I understand, I get it. Okay, verse 33, Moses gave to them, to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land and its cities with their territories, the cities of the land throughout the country. There's the reward. They get the land they wanted all along. And they're rewarded because they repented. They promised to send men into battle to fight. And God gives them exactly what they asked for, the land that they asked for all along. And this is actually a pattern throughout numbers that we've seen. God punishes people in the exact same way that they ask for, ironically, and he rewards them in the same way that they ask for. We saw in chapter 11, they're complaining, oh God, we don't have any meat. And over and over, they're just complaining, God, why don't you give us food? He actually already was providing bread from heaven for them, like that would just fall. We're like, oh, this isn't enough. We need meat. And God's like, fine, you want some meat? Here's some meat. And while they were eating it, they die of food poisoning. Chapter 12, Miriam, Moses' sister of all people, is, says some racist things against Moses' wife. And her punishment is that she gets leprosy and her skin turns color. Ironic. Chapter 14, 
God lets a whole generation wander and die in the desert after they just said, God, we'd rather die in the desert than go into that land. And God's like, all right. But now God got from them what he wanted all along. He just wanted their hearts. And they get the very land that they wanted to begin with. He rewards them. He blesses them richly for their repentance. And here's what's true for us today as well. God rewards our repentance as well. Take a look at these verses on the screen with me. Acts 3, 18 to 20. What God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Times of refreshing. That's the reward. James 4, 8 through 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So what's the reward of repentance here in these verses It's that we get times of refreshing and that God will exalt us. But what does that mean? What does that look like? He certainly could reward you for your repentance with earthly blessings like Reuben and Gad. But not necessarily. Life could still be very, very difficult for you. And it is for many who live repentant lives. The answer is actually found in both of these scriptures. You can put that back up there. You throw that back up, bud? There we go. The answer is found in both of these. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here's how he exalts us. Here's how he refreshes us. He gives us his nearness. We're refreshed with his presence. We're refreshed with his presence. I'm not talking about the fact that God is always present, his omnipresence. He's always present everywhere. Not talking about that. I'm not talking about that for those who are following him, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We already have that. The reward is enjoying a nothing to hide friendship with God. When we repent of our sin, you've got everything clear. You've got nothing to hide. It it produces a freedom, a joy, a confidence, an assurance. It's okay if you aren't. It's, It's a hard floor here. But if you are able, I'd like you to kneel right now with us. And I have on the screen here, um, some different prompts to help you repent of your grumbling. And so I'll just read them aloud and then you can take a couple minutes just silently before the Lord to just repent. Father, I repent of often grumbling selfishly about this person. Father, I repent of often grumbling selfishly in this circumstance. Father, I repent of often grumbling selfishly about this responsibility that you've given me. Take some time now. Kneel if you're able to and just repent of selfish grumbling in these ways.
All right, let's stand. And let's pray together. God, I thank you for your forgiveness from the very grumbling that we just confessed and repented of to you. I pray that they would know that. People would know that and believe that in their hearts, God, that everything that they just confess, they're forgiven of because of the blood of Jesus. Help them not to live in condemnation. Help them not to, to walk away from here feeling unnecessarily bad, but instead help them to feel forgiven and free, to walk free from that grumbling moving forward. God, I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to grumble less, to enjoy your nearness more and more, God. And we thank you so much for the weight-lifting freedom that we experience when we repent of our sin and our grumbling. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.